At Portsmouth Church, we believe that God is a God who speaks and makes himself known to people and interacts with them in relationship. The Bible records God's revelation of himself throughout history, ultimately in person, but we'll come back to that later. And we believe that God still speaks today through his word, which we have in the Bible. And because of this, we spend time as a church seeking to listen to what God says. So on Sunday mornings at the moment, as John has said, we're looking at the first book in the Bible, the book called Genesis, or the book of Beginnings. In recent weeks, we've been following God's work in the lives of one particular family. And this is a normal family in the sense that they've got plenty of things wrong and got themselves into various messes. But at the same time, this family are a special family in the sense that God has chosen to work through them to bring blessing to the whole world, even us here today. Now, you could say that Cheyenne and Tom are fairly normal in some senses anyway. I think they're both great guys, but they're normal human beings with normal weaknesses. And that will perhaps be especially evident to their family members here today who've put up with them for longer than we have. But maybe Tom and Cheyenne might also have a special role to play in bringing God's blessing to some of us here today. Perhaps even as you heard their stories, you thought to yourself, could there be something in this? Could it be, could it really be true that God does in fact exist? As Shine and Tom discovered via different routes, but both starting from a point of not really thinking that he does. Might it be possible that God desires something more than mere religion? Might some have missed the point that God actually desires a personal relationship with us as our loving father, as Tom discovered? In a recent survey conducted in England, only 60% of adults thought that Jesus was a real person who actually lived. 22% thought Jesus was a mythical or fictional character, and 18% couldn't decide between the two. If there are 180 people here this morning, uh, that would translate to 72 of us not believing Jesus was a real person who actually lived. And yet Cheyenne has come to believe that Jesus is indeed a real person who actually lived in history. And not only that, Jesus also gave his life as a ransom for Cheyenne and for all who put their trust in him. And Tom too has come to believe that Jesus is a real person who actually lived and gave himself for him. Now Cheyenne and Tom are intelligent men. They're both engineers. I mean, you don't get much more intelligent than engineers, I might say. Uh, both civil engineers, not that bad, but you know, could be better. But uh, yeah, they're both engineers, both uh, graduates. Cheyenne, Tom's working as a, as a graduate engineer. Cheyenne has been considered intelligent enough to travel all the way from his home country to study in England, and where he's completed his master's in civil engineering. Could it be that these intelligent men have reached the conclusions they have about Jesus because it's true? Don't miss your opportunity of receiving blessing from God through these otherwise normal guys this morning. Anyway, let's take a look at the family uh, who we've been seeing God work through in Genesis. Uh, Things have already been pretty messy, uh, and they get even worse today. Uh, We pick up the story with a guy called Jacob, and uh, in recent weeks, we've seen him deceive. That's not an actual picture of Jacob. It's a graphic representation. 
Um, in recent weeks, we've seen him deceive his father and cheat his brother uh, and escape for his life with the help of his mother's scheming. Uh, and now, if you want to follow, we're in Genesis, uh, 20, uh, Genesis 29, uh, verse 30 to 30, verse 24, but I'm not reading it, so if you want to look, it's on page 32 to 33. Uh, now Jacob is staying with his mother's brother, a guy called Laban. Jacob wanted to marry one of Uncle Laban's daughters, Rachel, cousin Rachel. However, Uncle Laban deceived Jacob and tricked him into marrying Rachel's sister, Leah, who who Jacob definitely didn't want. Uh, So there we go, there's Leah and there's Rachel. Um, And it's easy for us to think in terms of modern-day English and wonder English weddings and and wonder how on earth Jacob could fall for Laban's trick. I mean, (laughs) at the end of your wedding day, you don't, you know, you don't, end up with the wrong woman, do you, or man? How could he not realise he was marrying Leah and not Rachel? But in the culture of their time and place, brides were heavily veiled, and the wedding chamber would have been completely dark at night, and Jacob would have drunk much wine at the feast. And so we end up with this rather amusing line, not, not very amusing for Jacob, of course, but this rather amusing line in verse 25 of chapter 29, when morning came, there was Leah. Um, So there we go. That's what happened. And Laban then made his nephew agree to work for him for another seven years in exchange for Rachel, the daughter Jacob had already worked seven years for, to marry. So now Jacob has two wives, Leah and Rachel. And we're told that Jacob's love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. In the last part of chapter 29 of Genesis and the first half of chapter 30, we're told the story of the battle to have Jacob's children. It's messed up. I can imagine it's the kind of story you'd find in a trashy novel or reality TV program or soap or something. Leah gets the first four children, all sons. And then Rachel is so desperate that she gives her servant to her husband uh, so she can have some surrogate children for her, which she does. Two more sons for Jacob. Then Leah wants in on the servant action, so she gives her servant to her husband as well. And Jacob has two more sons through her. Then Rachel sells some fruit. uh, uh, Sorry, sells a night with Jacob to Leah in exchange for some fruit, which sounds stupid, doesn't it? Um, But some thought this particular fruit had aphrodisiac properties, Uh, Some even refer to the fruit as love apples. Um, So Rachel might have wanted these love apples in her desperation to try anything to improve her fertility. Anyway, Leah then bears Jacob two more sons and eventually a daughter too. Then finally, God enables Rachel to conceive and she gives birth to Jacob's 11th son. And sometime later, we read in chapter 35 of Rachel giving birth to a second son completing the total of 12 sons for Jacob. Though tragically, Rachel dies giving birth to him. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've just watched EastEnders or something, just kind of explaining all of that. Um, And sorry if you like EastEnders. I shouldn't really comment because I don't watch it. I have no idea what it's like. But um, anyway, a question I want to ask you this morning is what relevance does all this have for you? What relevance does all this have for you? I guess someone who watches a reality TV show might have some level of interest, weirdly, in the details of the lives of the people who they're looking in on. I guess that's the point of doing the shows. But is there something more than that here? Should our response be more than, well, isn't that interesting? 
And maybe you wouldn't say that anyway. Maybe you're thinking, what on earth is he waffling on about? When can I get out of here? Why is the story of this messed up family from thousands of years ago relevant to me and to you today? I'd like to suggest at least two reasons. Two reasons. It reminds us that only God can bring ultimate satisfaction to our longing. And it shows us that God can bring blessing through brokenness. Only God can bring ultimate satisfaction to our longing. If you start typing desperate for into Google, which I'm sure we've all done. Uh, I did it in preparation for this. But uh, if you start typing desperate for into Google, uh, then uh, it seems from the prompted suggestions that people commonly search desperate for money, followed by desperate for a baby, and then desperate for a loan, and then desperate for a job. That's what uh, I was prompted to type in when I had a look at that. Maybe you identify with one of those things. Or perhaps, for you, it's something different. Perhaps for you, it's desperate for acceptance, for affirmation, for success or friendship. Some are desperate for food or a home. Others might say they're desperate for a break. The story of Jacob's wives reveals something of their inner longings, the things they craved for deep down. For Leah, it was to be loved. Imagine for a moment how this woman felt. She no doubt knew from the outset that it was her sister, Rachel, who Jacob really wanted. What emotions was she experiencing when her father took her and gave her to Jacob on what was meant to be Jacob and her sister's wedding night? How did that feel? How did Leah feel the next morning when Jacob woke up and realized for the first time that he'd been tricked and slept with Leah instead of the woman he thought he had married? How did she feel when it said, and there was Leah? What was that first week of marriage like for Leah when she knew, really, she knew fully that all Jacob wanted was her sister, who he'd been in love with since he first met her seven years ago? It's very clear in this story, as verse 30 of chapter 39 puts it, Jacob's love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. In fact, it's even stronger in verse 31, which tells us that Leah was not loved. The original Hebrew word is hated. There's an absence of love for Leah. No surprise then that she was desperate to be loved. And if you wanted proof of how this affected her, Then look at the names of her first three sons. Reuben means, see a son. But in the Hebrew language, it sounds like, he's seen my misery. Imagine someone naming their child in English, the Lord has seen my misery. (laughs) You meet them at school or something, a friend of your child. It's hardly a positive name, is it? Fancy having that read out on the school register. Misery, yeah, I'm here. Simeon is a bit better. Uh, We think it means one who hears, which sounds okay by itself. But Leah calls this son one who hears because the Lord has heard that she's not loved. And then there was Levi, which sounds like and maybe derived from the Hebrew word for attached. It's a picture of Leah's longing. She names her son attached because she places her hope in her son that her husband will one day become attached to her. It's a desperate mess, a sad story. Rachel, on the other hand, enjoys the devoted love of her besotted husband. He's already demonstrated his love for her by working seven years for her father and promising a further seven years for no reward but Rachel's hand in marriage. 
Just listen to verses 18 to 20 earlier in chapter 29. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said to her father Laban, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Sorry if that makes you sick. Um, uh, Rachel could at least know that she was loved. Rachel was desperate for something else. Children. For years, Rachel remained childless. As we've seen already, such is her desperation for children that she even gives her servant to her husband. Saying in verse 3 of chapter 30, Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. Rachel raged with envy at her sister. This was heated sibling envy and rivalry. Quite unlike that moving display of sibling love you might have seen last month. And this is the British athlete Alistair Brownlee helping his younger brother, Johnny Brownlee, to finish the World Triathlon final last month in Mexico. I'm, I'm, quite, I'm just out of shot there. I'm a bit, bit behind them. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it was great to see. No, uh, Alistair carried his brother over the final few hundred metres and then pushed him over the finish line before crossing after him. If you missed it, uh, you can watch a, a clip on, on this BBC article in the bottom there. But Rachel and Leah were far from scenes like this. They were in the heat of intense sibling jealousy. Leah wanted what Rachel had. Rachel wanted what Leah had. They were consumed with trying to get what they wanted. It was for both of them a destructive obsession. Maybe you can identify with Rachel and Leah. Maybe something of that obsessive struggle resonates with you. My struggle by the way, it was one of the names Rachel gave to one of her sons that she got through her servant, referring to being entangled in this desperate contest with her sister. My struggle. What is it that you're searching for? We won't ever find ultimate satisfaction outside of God. There will always be something you don't have. Rachel had the love, but she wanted the children. Leah had the children, but she wanted the love. The lottery winner got the money, but they wanted something else. The celebrity had the fame and the money, but they wanted happiness. You must have heard these kind of stories time and again. Did you notice at that part of Tom's story where he realized that he didn't actually believe in God, but he discovered still that life outside of God wasn't full of the excitement and freedom that people so often make out and that Tom expected there to be? Deep down, we all know there's something missing. Some have described it as a a God-shaped hole in our hearts. There's a vacuum. We try and fill it with love, children, money, success, career, reputation, friends, houses, cars, sports, learning, whatever we try and fill it with. It's never enough. And this is nothing new. In the year 354 AD, a boy was born in North Africa called Augustine. Uh, or Aurelius Augustinus was his actual Latin name. Uh, I don't know how you pronounce that. But uh, he was a naughty teenager. He definitely would have worn a hoodie if they kind of existed back then. And as a young adult, he shed off the Christian faith that he'd been taught by his mother and immersed himself in different philosophies. 
Apparently, one time as an adult, he was thrown out of the family home for his wild philosophical views. But like Cheyenne and Tom, Augustine eventually discovered the living God and began to follow Jesus Christ. And he was baptized a few years before then, uh, in the year 387, at the age of 32. He became a church leader for four or so years, and then a bishop uh, of a place called Hippo. So some people have heard of him as Augustine of Hippo, uh, four or so years later, uh, which is in modern-day Algeria. And to this day, he remains a significant theologian, and his works have played an important part in the history of Christianity. I'm telling you about Augustine, because some of you are wondering. I'm telling you about Augustine because before, long before any of us was born, Augustine experienced the same desperate search for fulfillment and satisfaction in excessive pleasure, in sex, in philosophy, in different religions, in doing what was forbidden, until eventually he was transformed by being drawn to read just a couple of verses about living with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, from the Bible. Anyway, Augustine famously wrote in his book Confessions, you made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it finds its place of rest in you. He's addressing the Lord uh, in this kind of prayer. You made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it finds its place of rest in you. Maybe some of us need to hear words which God speaks uh, through the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. The Lord recalled the devotion of his people, Jacob's descendants actually. The devotion that Jacob's descendants used to have for him. The love they used to have for him. And yet they had strayed from him and followed worthless idols. They forgot the Lord who'd rescued them from trouble. And so God brings charges against them. In uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. An idol is something we put in the place that God deserves, that God should occupy in our hearts and lives. Uh, Or as the American pastor Tim Keller puts it, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Humanity's problem, our problem, is that we've exchanged the glorious God for these worthless idols. It's madness. No wonder God instructs the heavens to be appalled and shudder with great horror. We forsake the Lord God who alone can satisfy our deepest need. He describes himself as the spring of living water. He's the abundant source of life itself. And yet we forsake him and seek to find our satisfaction elsewhere. We dig our own wells rather than coming to the spring of living water. But our wells are broken, failing. They cannot sustain the weight we place on them. They cannot provide the life we seek from them. Sooner or later, we discover that the things we put our hopes in will fail us or let us down or just won't be enough for us. This is because God has made us to enjoy relationship with him, as Augustine said, and so our hearts are restless 
until they find their place of rest in God. Only God can bring ultimate satisfaction. Only God can bring us fullness of life now and forever. And that life is given to us through Jesus Christ who declared, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus paid the ultimate price to offer us that life. The very next words of his that John records in chapter 10 of his gospel. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Then Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And there he's talking about being killed for the sake of his people. He willingly gives his life to guarantee theirs. So serious is God about his invitation to you to come and receive the life that he offers. So serious is God about his invitation to you to come and receive the life that he offers that Jesus has offered his life as a sacrifice on our behalf. Dealing with the problem of our hearts that have sought ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in anything but the God who loves us and who made us. And whether you've never heard the truth about God before or whether you've once loved him and have since strayed from following him, he invites you to return this morning. Uh, Sorry, that's not strong enough. He pleads with you to return this morning. In chapter 3 of Jeremiah, he pleads with his people, Jacob's faithless descendants, to return to him. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt, for you have rebelled against the Lord your God. Maybe you feel in your heart like God is speaking these words to you today as well, pleading with you to return, assuring you of his love and forgiveness. There's so many other invitations of God that we could look at, so many other promises and uh, pleadings with us to come and to receive the life that he offers to us. What are you longing for in your heart? Only Jesus can ultimately satisfy, only God can bring ultimate satisfaction to our longing. Uh, well, very quickly and uh, secondly, just want to think that only God, God can bring blessing through our brokenness. You might not have been shocked at the brokenness of this family at all. You might have thought, that's nothing compared to what I've witnessed or experienced. I mean, let's face it, the sad reality is that in this city and across the world today, there are families affected by greater brokenness than this one. At least no one in Jacob's family had to suffer domestic violence or other forms of abuse. There's no indication here of substance misuse or neglect. As far as we can tell, all 13 children were loved in a secure environment and had their needs met. The more you compare this story with the harsh reality of too many families today, it begins to feel almost tame. Maybe you've been affected in some way by brokenness, like Jacob's family, or even worse. I want to say to you this morning that God's power and love is great, and he can bring blessing through your brokenness. In that uh, reading we had at the beginning from Luke 15, there's this group who were looked down upon, the messed up people, the tax collectors who rob everyone of their money, and the sinners, the parking wardens, and the kind of rebellious people. And they're the looked down upon. They're the real broken, messed up ones. But what did people observe? They observed that Jesus welcomed them. 
he ate with them. He spent time with them. And he went on to say that actually he rejoices when broken people come back to him. And in Luke chapter 5, um, verse, verses 30 to 32, uh, there's this kind of similar encounter. Um, the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law, the kind of religious leaders of the day, complained to Jesus' disciples. What, what was their complaint? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And what was Jesus' answer? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is for broken people. Jesus came to bring blessing to the messy. Maybe you don't think of yourself as a broken person. Perhaps we should ask ourselves, have I ever made any mistakes? Have I ever let anyone down? Have I ever cheated anyone? Can I really say that I've always got it right? Have I ever deceived people who love me, who I love? I'd like to suggest that we're all broken people, and sure, that doesn't look the same in all of our lives. Nevertheless, at some level, we're all broken. And Jesus came to bring blessing and to restore those who were broken. As he said, a doctor doesn't come for those who are well. A doctor comes for those who are sick. Maybe you're facing a mess at the moment. You wonder how God could possibly work in your situation. Well, like this family here, you could see God's power in your story. You could see God bringing his grace, his love, his undeserved kindness into your story. You see, as we've already seen in this series, the fact is that major Old Testament characters and and institutions come from this family, from Jacob's messed up family. In fact, they descend from the unwanted and unloved Leah. From her son, Levi, would come the whole Old Testament priesthood system. And Moses, one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. From her son, Judah, would come the monarchy, the kings of Old Testament Israel, descend from Leah's son, Judah. And in that line comes God himself in the person of his son, the one who comes ultimately to bring blessing, to be blessing for us in our brokenness, through his life, through his death on the cross, and through his resurrection, he offers us new life, hope, and blessing. It may be uh, that today is the first time you've heard anything about God, and you want to know more. Well, please speak to Tom or Cheyenne, and, uh, and come, or come and speak to me later, or, or John or Lou, or anyone who's been uh, at the front here, or our welcome team. Any of us would love to help you take a step uh, to find out more about who God is and how you can know him and receive him. It may be, though, that perhaps there are others here who feel ready to stay, take the step of beginning to follow Jesus today. I'm going to pray a prayer which you can join in with me if you like in a moment. Now, you don't have to speak these words out loud. Just echo them in your heart if, uh, if they're true for you. Or maybe you've already begun following Jesus, but you haven't yet been baptized. We'll come and speak to someone on the leadership about that as well. We'll we'll be starting our next Exploring Baptism course in a few weeks' time. So come and let us know if you want to talk about that. Uh, And anyone's welcome on that. You don't have to go through with baptism. If you just turn up, uh, it's an opportunity to explore whether it's right for you or not. And maybe others of us uh, might be challenged about coming back to God, coming back to him with fresh love with putting him first and seeking his blessing 
whatever situations we're facing. For now, let's pray. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. Sorry, thank you, and please. Let's pray. If you want to pray along with me, feel free. Father, I'm sorry that I've rejected you, that I've rebelled against you and your ways. Sorry that my heart has gone after other things. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your ready invitation for me to return. Thank you that in your grace you plead with me to return to you as my loving Father who wants to delight in me as your child. Thank you that Jesus came and gave his life, that good shepherd laying down his life for me so that I might have life and have it to the full. Please, please forgive me. Please restore me, cleanse me, and help me to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me to put him at the first place in my heart and live by your spirit as a child of my Father in heaven. Amen. Well, the bands are going to come up and continue to lead us in response now. But if you pray that prayer today, especially for the first time, do uh, come and tell someone about it. Don't uh, encourage you not to leave without speaking to one of us about it.